And we looked about Jesus cursing the fig tree and what that meant, what that signifies. And I want to move on from that to the next few verses. Uh, verses 22 through 25. Now, to give you a little background, as I said, Jesus has just cursed the fig tree. They're walking by it again. They recognize that it's cursed. And the verses that we look at now, Jesus begins teaching on prayer. And I think that's very appropriate for us to, to look at this and this topic. But you might think this is an odd time for Jesus to do a lesson on prayer. Uh, when you think about the timeline of what's going on here. Uh, these are the last days of the life and ministry of Jesus. This, in, in the timeline of, of Mark 11, uh, this would be right in the middle of uh, what we would call the Passion Week. On Monday, he had entered Jerusalem and then went out to Bethany to spend the night. On Tuesday, he cleansed the temple. The text that we're going to read today occurs on a Wednesday. On Thursday would be the Passover meal. On Friday, the crucifixion. And Sunday, the resurrection. So things are happen, happening rapidly. They're happening fast. And yet, he takes the time at this moment in the life in ministry that he's spending with the disciples to teach about prayer. Think about it. For three years, the disciples have lived in the presence of God Himself, God in human flesh. Anything they needed, He had provided. When they needed protection from the storm, He provided it. When they needed guidance, when they needed direction, He provided it. When they needed food, He provided it. When they needed wisdom, He provided it. But things were getting ready to change. They were going to go from having the Son of God there within arm's length that they could just turn to and ask a question to not having Him there at all. A dramatic change was going to happen in the life of the disciples. I mean, for us, all that we've ever known is prayer. We've never had Jesus physically with us that we can I mean, turn to and say, Jesus, what would you do here? How, how, how do I handle this? We've not had that type of relationship as, as they did. Whatever we desire from God, the only access we have that we've ever had is prayer. It's our lifeline. But we've got to kind of think about the disciples. It wasn't so for them yet. But they would soon become totally dependent on the one they could not see. And they needed to know at this point 
that 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 same power, those same resources were available to them that were available when Jesus was physically with them. And so with that in mind, I think that's why Jesus took his time to teach them about about prayer. So let's go ahead and look at the text. I'm going to start at Mark 11, verse 20. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, all things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Now, when we first read this, this seems like a very unusual, a very awkward uh, transition, going from directly from Peter's comment about a withered fig tree to have faith in God. So, what's the connection? I mean, what's the link here? Uh, last week I mentioned that the cursing of the fig tree was a demonstration of the power of judgment of God and, of course, a foreshadowing of the judgment to come. Now, in Matthew twenty-one twenty, which is a parallel passage to this, Peter asked, how did the tree wither so quickly and it's it's not that I don't think he's saying I don't have any idea how this could happen because he had seen Jesus' power before I think it was more of how does this type of power work he was startled that the, that the tree was dead uh, we go back a little bit just thinking about the temple was nothing but leaves. No fruit, no spiritual fruit. And power displayed this way, a negative display of power in a sense, a cursing, uh, was a demonstration of divine power, even though it was divine power for judgment and not for blessing. Most of the time we've seen Jesus' power, the disciples saw Jesus' power as divine blessing. Here, they see it as divine judgment. And so Peter's asking, how does this happen? Jesus' answer is, have faith in God. So in other words, such power for blessing or for cursing comes only from God. Then Jesus begins to teach about this divine power. How are the disciples going to walk 
in the same steps of Jesus, teach and be able to live the life of prayer and the life of power once Jesus is no longer with them. And so he teaches this. And there's there's several uh, elements that we could look into, but I'll just touch on a few of them. Um, what does it take to have this powerful, effective prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples? And the first point that I would bring out is faith. He says, have faith in God. That one is kind of simple. You might call this one the uh, theological component. But you notice here, the point is not about faith itself. But the point is about God. Trust God. Again, referring back to Matthew 21, the parallel passage, it adds a second point. It says, have faith and do not doubt. Again, the point is not our faith, but the character of God. When it says do not doubt, if you're doubting, well, it's really not your own faith that you're doubting, but it's the character of God that you're doubting. Trust God. Trust His power. Yes, but also trust His plans and His purposes for you. Trust that he knows better than you. 1 Peter 4.19 says, Those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, they should entrust themselves to a faithful creator. So trust your circumstances. Trust where you are right now. Trust that to him. You want your life to be in His hands because He knows what is true and what is good and what is best for you. Another piece of this um, building an understanding for powerful, effective prayer is found in verse 23. It's belief. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Notice how what Jesus says here at the beginning. I assure you, or another passage might say, truly I say to you, I mean, this is a, puts a strong emphasis on what he's saying. That this may sound like it's beyond your reach. This may sound like it's unbelievable. But I want you to know that it, what I'm saying is true. What I'm saying is exactly what God intends. And then there's another little phrase there. Notice it doesn't say, if you disciples say to this mountain. Or if only, you know, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you say to it, but it says, if anyone, or whoever, and that includes not just disciples, but you and I as well. And then Jesus gives the illustration, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Now, what mountain is he referring to? Well, even though this is probably just an illustration, he's probably referring to the Temple Mount since that's exactly where they were. But, of course, I've got to ask the question, should we take this illustration literally? I would argue that it's a figure of speech, that the term that, that, that this is really hyperbola, exaggeration, which was commonly used by rabbis of Jesus' day as a method of teaching. They, they would give this type of an example. I mean, we might even say of someone, that person can move mountains. What would it mean if you said that about a person? I'm asking, what would that mean if you said that person can move mountains? Powerful person get the job done. Yeah. Nothing stands in their way. Nothing stands in their way. They can get the job done. So we so we understand what that term what that term means even in this day and age. You know. And the mountain referring to difficult things. This person can handle difficult things, move them out of the way to get the job done. Yeah. But then it says, I also referred to earlier and does not doubt in his heart. Wow, doubt. Doubt is not your friend. It says he does not doubt in his heart. Do you ever doubt? Or maybe I should look at it another way. The issue here is, are you believing God? Or are you doubting God? Do we have perfect faith, though? Maybe I need to clarify a little bit about doubt. Do we have 100% perfect faith? In a way, but not really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, faith is is mixed, if you're going to be honest with yourself, there's probably some doubt in, in, that, in that faith. And that's not really the doubt I'm talking about. I'm talking about where, where you're really exchanging the level of faith that you have with doubt. So that there's a there's a doubt that I'm talking about here that is really a faithless doubt. <coughs> a doubt that replaces faith. Not the little doubt of a question that you have in your life every once in a while. Gotta keep that in mind. Does not doubt. There's another piece to powerful prayer. Uh, and this one is a very practical piece 
he goes on to say, Therefore I tell you, all things you pray and ask for. Ask. Believe that you have received them and you will have them. So so this component is to ask. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. Or we might memorize the King James Version. You you have not because you ask not. Right? So that speaks of asking for something. Believe that you have received. Speaks of asking for something that is future, but with a level of faith. Believing that you've already received it, that you already have it. And then notice this. All the things, all things that you pray and ask for. All things? All things? Now, how how are we to understand this when it says this? How are we to understand this? There you go. That is exactly right. He says name it and claim it. Well, there... That's right. There's something called the Word of Faith movement where these people believe that faith works like a mighty power or force through faith, not through God, through the power of your own faith. You can obtain anything you want, health, wealth, success, or whatever you please. But this force This force is only released through the spoken word, is what they believe. You speak it, and it comes out. As we speak words of faith, they would say, power is discharged to accomplish our desires. This is the word of faith movement. Now, to give you an example, here is what one well-known televangelist has to say, even about this passage. There is incredible power released by God when we speak out to our mountains. I can't get his voice right. I can't talk in a Texas drawl. A mountain is a situation in your life that seems to be permanent and impossible. It may be a mountain in your marriage. You don't know how you'll stay together. A mountain in your finances. It doesn't look like you'll ever get out of debt or accomplish your dreams. Maybe it's a mountain in the past, but we had the foundation for an effective prayer life. The, the, listen to this. Here's what it keeps going to say. The experts say you're never going to get well. Well, a lot of time we spend praying about our mountains. God, please help me. God, please straighten my child up. God, please take away the fear. And yes, it's good to pray. It's good to ask God to help us. But when you face a mountain, it's not enough to pray. It's not enough to just believe. Here's the key. You have to speak to your mountains. Some of you today are praying about things you should be speaking to. You don't need to pray about those things anymore. You need to speak them. You need to say, fear, I command you to leave. I will not allow you in my life. 
It's good to pray. It's good to believe. But the mountains move when we speak to them. Learn to say each day, I speak favor over my finances. I speak health to my body. I speak peace into my family. I speak blessings into my future. That's what the word of faith would say. That's how they interpret this passage. You know, if we could produce by speaking out whatever our hearts desire, if we could manipulate the universe and perhaps even God, then we have our own personal genie just waiting to fulfill our desires. But is that the way that this passage should be interpreted? We've got to remember something here. Scripture interprets Scripture. So at first, what they've done is they've taken this verse unqualified. They don't turn to other Scriptures and say, what are other teachings on prayer and how should this be understood? They just take it standalone. But, when we keep reading, I referred to James just a minute ago. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. Well, that's in James 4 too. But, if we keep reading in James, what does James 4 3 have? James 4 3 says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own evil desires. Whoa. Compare that to what the Word of Faith movement is doing. The Bible is clear on how this passage is qualified. Whatever is according to His will. And we see this modeled by Jesus as we would leap forward in Mark. Mark 14, 36. Jesus is in the garden. And he's praying. He's in anguish. Sweating, as it were, drops of blood. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. The cup of suffering. The cup of sin bearing. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. See how that was modeled? Jesus is praying, but he turns it around and says, not my will, but your will. So you ask, but you ask consistent with God's will. You ask consistent with Christ. What you ask must be consistent with who God is, with who Christ is, with why He came, with His purposes. Uh, the, uh, the last one that I would speak on, the last part of building an effective, powerful prayer life is found in verse 25. And this one is forgive. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in Heaven will forgive you your wrongdoing. <laughs> and this was seen, this is seen in Matthew 6.14. It's actually drawn from Matthew 6.14. 1 
For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will will forgive you as well. So if I have malice, if I have wickedness, if I have iniquity built up in my heart, if I have judgment in my heart, the Old Testament says the Lord will not hear me. And this, talking about forgiveness in particular, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in Heaven will also forgive you your own I mean, I look at this and I, I kind of see two clear choices. We talk, part of our teaching with Henry, you've got a choice this way, choice this way. One's going to give you a positive reward, the other's going to the other choice is going to bring about discipline. And I, I, so I'm always thinking about choices now. And I see two choices here. One is to not forgive, which would mean, in a sense, to hold a grudge or have your prayers answered. Yeah, pretty, in some sense, it seems to me like a pretty easy choice. And yet, you know, some people would rather hold on a grudge, but it's, you pick, really. And so I think about this, and I look at this, and, and Jesus teaching, and saying, this is amazing. This is truly an amazing promise that He gave not just to the disciples, but to us. Whatever we ask in His will, in His plan, in His purpose, Promises it will happen. That's an amazing promise. When we think about our own salvation. Salvation is a sovereign work of God, but it's not apart from our faith. Our sanctification is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, but not apart from our faith. And praying. Seeking out the sovereign purposes of God's will in our lives and for our church and for our family and for other brothers and sisters and believers. It's not apart from faith. You know, the disciples learned this lesson. In Acts, even in chapter 1, you know, if we if you scan through that, you'll see. Okay, down the, by the time we get to verse nine, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Verse twelve, they leave the Mount of Olives. They return to Jerusalem, and it says that Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. All were continually united, united in prayer. Jesus was gone now, ascended into heaven. And just a few hours after this, they were following his command to pray. And as you read through the book of Acts, you know what happens. Prayer followed by power. 
Prayer followed by power. Prayer followed by power. And it continues to be that way. We have a teaching here, a command to pray, to ask. Within the qualification of it being His will, His guidance. And yet we have the promise that whatever we ask for will be granted. How many times do we ask but don't believe that? I guess there's many ways to look at this. How many times have we asked for something that we know wasn't really within His will? How many times have we asked for things that uh, we feel were within His will, but we weren't asking them with any level of faith? How many times were we asking things for more of a selfish motive than uh, an unselfish motive, a godly motive? Ask within His will, within His purpose. Do not doubt. Believe that He's going to bring it about. And it will be done. Maybe that's the challenge. To look at our own prayer life and go, Okay, Lord, where have I been asking for the wrong motives for my own, as James would call it, for my own evil desires? Help me to wash those aside and help me to ask with your desires in my heart, with your intentions in my heart. Help me to believe that that truly will come about. Let's pray. Father, we truly do want our prayers, want our prayer lives to be honoring of you. We want them to be glorifying of you. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen our belief. Help us to believe that when we ask, it will be granted to us. And Father, give us a clearer picture of your will, of your plans, of your purposes, so that what we ask, what we pray, will be in line with your will. Because that's our heart's desire to know your will, to walk in it, to pray in it, to breathe it.
So Father, may we know this type of prayer in our own lives. May this be our daily prayer. We give you thanks for your word, for this teaching of Jesus on prayer. And we praise you, God.